0: In your Bible again, if you will, Judges chapter 8, verse 30 through 35, reading again and maybe for the last time this portion. And Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age, and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father in Oprah, in Abi-Ezrites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again, and went a-whoring after Balaam. And made Baal bereth their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God. Who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness. To the house of Jerubah Baal. Namely Gideon. According to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel stand with me please and sing again number 540 in your hymn I would come to thee, a sinner all defiled. Oh, take the stain of guilt away and own me as thy child. I cannot live in sin And feel the Savior's love Thy blood can make my spirit clean And write my name above Among thy little flock I need the shepherd's care. Pour waters from the smitten rock and pastures green prepare. Blessed shepherd, I am. Thine still keep me in thy fear. Now fill my heart with grace divine. Bring thy salvation near. Thank you. Be seated. We are this morning attempting to finish our studies in these last few verses of chapter 8 in this record of the judges. We have seen already from this text in earlier messages, I have covered verses in this text under the heading, one of two headings that I have used to incorporate these verses. The first was that heading, we saw the marvelous magnitude of the righteous fruit that can be found in just one man's godly influence. And under that I gave to you this expression, How long is your shadow? What a great long shadow Gideon did cast. What marvelous magnitude of righteous fruit found in just one man's godly influence. And then on last week, In these very last verses, I'd begun to look, albeit with great sorrow, at the multitude of malignity that can be found in just one man's blemishes. Perpetuated through just one generation. Oh, the multitude, the multitude of malignity found in just one man's errors. On last week, I spent our time together entertaining specifically the two errors, the two blemishes, to use Roger's word that I love. The two blemishes in the heart of Gideon we looked at on last week, which foreshadowed Israel's doom and also that of Gideon's posterity. Oh, the great sorrow that gathers like a dark foreboding storm on the horizon of our heart as we come to these words in our text, verse 33 through 35 specifically. Gideon has played the part of a warrior and a hero on the battlefield and among God's enemies in chapter 6, 7, and 8 down to verse 29. But now, now we hear this painful record of this fatal blemish. In the simple words of verse 30, He had many wives. We viewed it first in those final words of verse 30, from which we brought the outline of an entire message on last week. But then in verse 31, even more insight into his personal weakness is given, as we read, these shocking words, and his concubine that was in Shechem, she also him my son. Here not only do we find God's servant stained with the blight of multitude wives, But here we find him in intimacy—the intimacy of companions of the vilest sort, a concubine, a concubine of idolatrous designs. Those whom one commentator described as having unbridled turpitude, unbridled. Interpreted in order to a fuller understanding of the criminality described here, notice the historical context, if you will. Verse thirty-one again, and his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. <laughs> You understand in the historical context that it was the father's right. It was the father's responsibility to name his sons. You remember in Genesis 7 and verse 19, it was Abraham who named Isaac. You remember in Luke chapter 1 and verse 13, Zacharias named John. And yes, may I just say as well, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 31, Mary was told what to call this child that would be born, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary was to call him, but it was the heavenly Father that gave her the name. The father had the right and authority to name a child. Always, always. And so the historical context. And so then here when we read these words Gideon consents to name this child of Emelech. None could doubt that this was actually the design of his mother. (laughs) My father, the king, it translates. Never would Gideon come up with that name. Never would he have desired to have that name for his child. No, no. But he had this concubine that gave him this son and he named him Abimelech. I wonder where he got that name. Little doubt, I think, from his mother. My father, the king. Oh, with such intimate consorts in Gideon's life. Small wonder then that we go no further than verse 33 and we find Israel has gone a-whoring after Baal and baal Peor, Lord of the leagues, that name means, or if you prefer, God of the gods or God of all things. They've gone after someone named God of all things. It's not the God of glory. Little wonder, little wonder. Because of the consorts to which he has resorted himself. Oh, the tragedy of bad companions. Yes, bad associations in general. And it is true, our grandchildren have already found it so. and Elena will find it so when she goes off to school. I hope she learns before she leaves as Emmerich had learned the tragedy of bad associations. It's better to be alone than to be in the company of those that lead you wrong. Better to be alone than in the company of those that lead you wrong. He names the child Abimelech because he's under the influence and power of this vile woman. And we shall yet see in messages ahead the extent of her vileness. Second Peter chapter 3, take this verse off to school with you when you go. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also be led away with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. Some interesting Greek words there. The word error. Fraudulent. It translates fraudulent deceit. Lest you be led away with the fraudulence and deceit of the wicked. Lest you be led away. The word means to go in a direction gradually. Nobody's likely to come and sweep you off your feet with some great violence. No, they'll just gradually pull you along in a direction you know you ought not be going. Then he said he'll pull you away from your own steadfastness. I love the definition of that word. It's a full word. It's a big, big, pregnant with meaning. It means stability. Stability with resoluteness in a certain direction. Beware, he says, lest you be led gradually by fraudulence in a direction that takes you away from your stability and resoluteness in a certain direction. What a word, what a pregnant verse, pregnant with instruction. Oh, that Gideon had heard it in his heart. Rogers in 1615 in his typical pastoral manner could not avoid commenting here in these words. He said, we hear, we may see what men get. Who were of a good note by entering into so near a league and having so inward acquaintance with such matters as these, which though it were in single and lawful marriage, Roger said even if this even if this woman had been the only woman he had. And was in lawful marriage with her. Because of what she was. He ought never have engaged. And he said. Though it were in a single and lawful marriage. Yet it threatens. An extinguishing. Of the good sparks of grace. In them that are so matched. It threatens the good sparks of grace. When they're matched with a woman. which should cause the servants of God to link themselves in marriage with women more like to themselves in religion and good behavior. And for them for whom it is too late to give this warning unto, let them yet receive and embrace this instruction that is given them in the second place. That is to say, how that they take counsel of such wise or ill companions. Be careful how you take their counsel. They are malicious, high-minded, quarrelers, contentious, waspish. I like that word. That's a good word. They're waspish covetous and gripers, in a word, they're void of true religion. Samson may be an example of all, both of the hearkening too far to such. And so Gideon may may be also in likewise of opening and telling that secret which is not meet to be imparted unto them, which Samson did to his great reproach and abasement. Oh, when you enter into a league, when you enter into a bond with this kind of evil, nothing comes of it but tragedy, as we shall yet see. Oh, the ocean of evil. Oh, the ocean of evil. Caused by the weakness of a carnal-minded man yielding to a conspiring woman. how many are the cases given in Scripture alone? In Scripture alone. To say nothing of the centuries of history, how many are the cases? Had I the time I could take us to Samson in the hands of Delilah in Judges chapter 16. I could take us to Ahab in the hands of Jezebel whom R.G. Lee called that vile viper Coiled on the throne of the nations in second King First Kings twenty-one. Well, I preached on last week I preached from the prophet Isaiah chapter three about junkyard women, but the wise man in the book of Proverbs, he had much to say as well about this kind of woman. Proverbs chapter one and verse chapter five and verse one, my son. My son, my son, attend to my wisdom. Bow thine ear to mine understanding, you young men, listen now. That thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman do drop as a honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than all, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. Hear me now therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her. And come not nigh to the door of her house. Lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say how have I hated instruction. And my heart despised reproof. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in an evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Oh, dear friend. My young ones hear these words. Strange woman. Oh, listen. Listen. He married a concubine. He, sorry, he had a son by a concubine and He named him Abimelech. I hope you get the weight of that. Oh, I have no doubt in my mind, as so many other scholars have commented, that Gideon allowed his head to be turned. And I quote, and reason abandoned the throne room of his heart when first he set himself to consorting with this vile fountain of godless designing. Whoa, what a viper is a woman who's capricious and power hungry. By the way, I'll give you just as a sidelight a word about The choice of names for children. To my knowledge there's not any expected in this congregation at the moment. Children that is. But you younger folks make note in your mind about this. What I'm about to tell you. The importance of naming your children. Fashion and the world ought not play in any part in your choice of names for your children. What a shocking verse is this, verse 31. And he named him Abimelech. Roger said, let this be a watchword about name giving. For they that are ignorant will take every occasion to increase their sin, even by occasion thereof, that is by their name, If that if any of their name have been noted above other for some bad quality, as stoutness and stomach, bragging and boasting, or such like, Oh, they must uphold the name, they think. Though it be but a shadow. And so be suitable to their name, if it occasion them evil, and keep them alive, the bad practices and course of them that bear that name before them. Even so, names more advisedly and wisely given to children are good occasions to produce in them their duties. Be careful what you name your child. Listen to me. It ought not be driven by fashion. (laughs) It was a time, wasn't it that name Brittany? It was like, it was a period of decade and that name prevailed in choice. Driven by fashion, driven by the world, our choice of children's names ought to be sanctified, ought to be holy, like every part of our life. And it ought to set that child on a course where they give accountability for their very name all the days of their life. Their very name. Bush said, the influence of names in the formation of character is probably much greater than is usually imagined and deserves the special attention of parents in their bestowment. Children should be taught that the circumstance of their bearing the names of good men or women who have lived before them constitutes an obligation upon them to imitate and perpetuate their virtues. Amen, amen. It's just a sidelight. Gideon named him Abimelech. But now I must hasten to bring for us this chapter to its close. On last week I pressed on your hearts. Gideon's two blemishes and something of the details of those errors. Now today I want us to close this chapter in Israel's history with a look at the two fruits reaped from the stain in the fabric of those blemishes. Two blemishes the matter of the ephod And the matter of women. And now today. I give you the two fruits. Number one. From our text. Verse 34. Number one. Atheism. Atheism. No other word could be used. The fruit. Of Gideon's. Blemishes resulted in Israel in a full-blown atheism that was the product of unfathomable amnesia. Look at verse 34. And it came to pass, verse 34, and the children of Israel remembered not the Lord. Oh, my stars. Wholesale amnesia. And the result was atheism. They forgot God. Ichabod is inscribed over the door of the entire nation in one generation. One generation. One generation. In today's social landscape, there is an exponential growth of atheism. I think you'll find, I found that millennials, that term millennials describes those generally born from 1981 to 1996. Beginning in the millennials There has been, according to all reports and all surveys in all places, both religious and secular, there has been an exponential growth of atheism in this period. But if we forget about modern times, in the scriptures alone, we find it true. We find it all the way back here in this 8th chapter of the book of Judges. Can I say to you that atheism is not the fruit of modern science or the times. It's the fruit of a departure from the true God by the people of God. Oh, listen. Listen. You say, I'm not so sure. I think, no, 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 it's been with us, this plague. This plague has been rotting in the human heart for many centuries. Millennium. Deuteronomy chapter thirty two at verse fifteen. Deuteronomy thirty two and verse fifteen, but Jeshuram waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. How many different ways can you say it? Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods and with abominations. Provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not, to new gods that they newly, that came newly up, whom their fathers feared not, of the rock that begot thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. An appalling amnesia, resulting in atheism. Oh, this rot, this disease, has rotted in the human heart for a long time. 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord that it is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron and, and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord which He did to you and to your fathers. Let me reason with you. Let me remind you of some things. And when Jacob was coming to Egypt, your father cried to the Lord. Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth their, your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord, forgot the Lord their God, He sold them. He sold them into the hand of their enemies. What happened to them? They forgot God. Psalm 78. I'll not tax your patience. I'll give you some references. Psalm chapter 78. Verse 9. They kept not the covenant. The children. Sorry, it's verse 9. The children be from being armed and carrying both. Turned back in the day of battle, they kept not the covenant of God, refused to walk in His law, and forget His works and His wonders that He had showed them. Oh, I wish I had the time I want to, but I can't. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 31 through 32, how well Jeremiah put it. Again in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 13 through 17. Oh, Hosea, that blessed, that blessed prophet Hosea. Oh, how eloquently did he speak in this matter. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I also will forget thy children. They were increased so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. That same prophet in chapter 8 and verse 12. I have written to him the great things of my law, uh, of my law, but they were Counted as a strange thing. They sacrificed flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepteth them not. Now will He remember their iniquity and visit their sins, and they shall return to Egypt. Verse 14 For Israel hath forgotten His Maker. Chapter 13, same book. Chapter 13 verse 4 Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt and thou shalt know no God but me for there is no Savior beside me. I did know thee in the wilderness in the land of the great drought according to their pasture. So were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they forgotten me. Boy, that would make a great gospel text back there, wouldn't it? Huh. I am the Lord. Oh, I, I, I am. I am the Lord thy God. There is no God beside me. There's no Savior beside me. <laughs> oh, they forgot. They had an appalling, I said it was an appalling and unfathomable amnesia that resulted in atheism. But our God will not have it. Our God will not have it. Psalm chapter 9 in verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executed. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Hagiano, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And that's what happened to Israel when they forgot God but finally the second fruit I give you the first I gave you atheism resulting from an unfathomable amnesia but then I secondly I give you this fruit there was an unchecked and unholy dishonor to their progenitors. Verse 35, listen now. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness. All the goodness he had showed to them. Oh, an unchecked and unholy dishonor to their progenitors. Oh, what an effrontery is this. Wholesale disrespect. Here Gideon, may I say to you, is not alone. He stands in a great cloud of witnesses whose testimony he shares. Many others, the Bible reveals, have suffered the same at the hands of a thankless generation. We have a modern movement they call cancel culture. But I want to show you from the scriptures this morning, it's not modern at all. No, no. This is in fact. A very old problem. Numbers chapter 16. And verse 1. In Numbers 16 and verse 1. Now Korah the sons of Ishar. The son of Kohath. The son of Levi. And Dathan. And Abiram. The sons of Elab and all, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. I'm at number sixteen one, sixteen two. 16.2. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, and every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Therefore then lift ye up yourselves, what, wherefore then do ye you lift yourselves above the congregation? Verse four, and Moses, when he heard it, he fell on his face. He said, even tomorrow the Lord will show you. You And go over to verse 15. Moses was very wroth and said to the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them. Neither have I hurt one of them. Lord, you know. Verse 26. He spake unto the congregation saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of those. These wicked men touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. And you know the story. They went up, and the Lord made a new thing in the earth. It came to pass when He had an end of speaking, verse 31, all those words that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened their mouth and swallowed them up in their houses, and all the men that appertained to Corinth, all their gods. Oh no. Oh no. Gideon's not the first. Oh no, cancel culture's not modern. Moses experienced it. He said, oh I know you think you've done some great things, but but no, we, we're every bit as good. And we don't care about what you did. First Samuel, again. 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm showing you in the scripture that modern, this pencil culture is not modern. 1 Samuel chapter 8 came to pass when Samuel was old, and he made his son judge, sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the first was born Joel, and his sons walked not in the his ways, turned aside after the lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. And then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah and said, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us king to judge us like all the nations. Make us a king. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and you remember the rest of the story. The Lord eventually spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, it's not you. It's not you, they're rejecting, it's me. But they did reject Samuel too. Oh, he knew what it was to have a modern generation cancel him. David, I won't take the time. David in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 through 6. You remember what happened there. The kingdom began to crumble for sure. That's Second Samuel. I don't know if I said First or Second Samuel. It's Second Samuel, chapter 15. Second Samuel, chapter 15. Absalom stole the hearts of Israel after David's incomprehensible kindness to them. Absalom stole the hearts of Israel. 34 verse 13 and 14. Hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And the servants that were with him at Jerusalem said, Arise, let us flee, for we shall not else escape Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. All that David has done All that David has done All that David has done They're ready to cancel that culture You get all the way over to chapter 17 David is chased across the river Jordan You get to chapter 18 He's finally brought to judgment But oh what damage He's already done in Israel They'll never be the same Divided the nation all of these that I've named to you this morning, all of these that I've named to you, suffered at the hands of friends and family whose crime is well described in the words of verse 35 in our text, neither showed they kindness. Oh, they all suffered from it, but wait, but wait. As much as I'm glad to give you those examples and we could search out and find others just in the scripture as I said, never mind history, just in the scriptures I could show you this terrible disease, this terrible dishonor to progenitors. But oh, there's one other. One of whom Gideon is but a dim shadow here. One whose life and death tell all too painfully this story, both of godless dishonor and calloused amnesia. This one is none other than our blessed Gideon, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, look with me for just a moment for a gospel glance an evangelical panorama of unholy dishonor to him who was treated with unkindness not after his death like Gideon but in the midst of his life. Notice with me and I give you just some examples. Number one, He gave eyes to the blind. He gave eyes to the blind. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. He gave eyes to the blind. You remember he put that spittle in his hands and put it on that blind man's eyes and he saw. He gave eyes to the blind, but his own brethren, according to the flesh, fairly put out his eyes completely. By beatings of his face until the swelling would shut them and blood clots running down in his eyes. He who spent his life giving eyes to the blind was made blind by the ungrateful generation that would not see. That would not see. And they were unkind. Unkind to him. Secondly, He gave deliverance. I read you the verse in Luke chapter four. He gave deliverance to the captives in Israel. Oh, listen to me. He gave deliverance, not just, not from foreign enemies without. He gave deliverance to them from the shackles that were within. He gave deliverance in chapter 4 verse 18. He gave deliverance, but they didn't remember that. These ingrates in their dishonor and amnesia in Matthew 27 and verse 2, they told me they bound Him. They bound Him. The one who'd spent His life setting men at liberty. Setting them free, they bound Him. Oh, <laughs> these ingrates remember nothing. Number three, our ever-blessed Gideon, our ever-blessed Gideon turned water into wine to satisfy the thirst. Of a clamorous wedding party. In John chapter 2. He turned water into wine. To gratify the thirst. Of a clamorous wedding party. But these guests. Had no heart. To return this kindness. And they watched him languish in the parched heat of thirst while he cried out in john nineteen twenty eight of thirst, and mocking him luke twenty three verse thirty six they offered him nothing but bitter vinegar. Oh, I'm talking about the one, the ever blessed Gideon that gave water to every sir that came to him. They forgot him. Nay, worse than that, like this crowd in Israel in Gideon life in verse thirty five, they intentionally showed him no kindness. Oh, number four, he'd given rest to so many. <laughs> oh, I love reading these accounts. I don't have the time. I wish I did. Matthew chapter 11. All I'm talking about he gave rest. He gave rest. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Oh, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Oh, he gave rest. Do you remember that scene? Isn't that a touching scene? Matthew chapter 26, verse 43. You remember the scene there in the garden? When the disciples were fatigued and they kept falling asleep. Verse 43, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them. He left them to sleep. Then cometh his disciples to then cometh he in verse 45 to his disciples and said to them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. Oh, can I tell you? He was known for giving rest. But what did they do? Oh, they hounded him. These flagrant ingrates. Hounded him day and night relentlessly like a poor rabbit at the mouths of a pack of wild dogs. Look again at that scene in Matthew 26 and you'll see it. He hounded them. They hounded him. They hounded him night and day. They pursued after him even in the middle of the night they came. After him like he was a dog. Verse 53. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father. He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be. And in that same hour Jesus and the multitude said. Are you come out as a thief against a thief with swords and staves. To take me? Will you hound me even now? Will you chase me down like a dog? Well, I'm telling you that the one that gave them rest, they never gave him rest. They forgot. They showed no kindness. Number five. He had the greatest of compassion, even. He had the greatest of compassion, even on the parents of a child that was in pain. You remember the story? Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Mark chapter 5 and verse 22. Behold, then cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and When he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter, my little daughter. lieth at the point of death, I pray, come. Come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him in the throng, and then you skip to over to verse 38, and he comes to the house of the ruler. When he was come, and he said, Why, why do you make this to do and weep? The damsel is not dead. she sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, them that were with him, entered in where the damsel was lying. Oh, can you see the compassion here? He took the damsel by the hand and said to her, I say unto thee, Arise. Can you imagine the pain that's in the heart of that mother and dad when they walked into that chamber? There she lay. Oh, but our Savior had compassion. He had compassion. I skipped over a large chunk of the scripture right here in that chapter. I skipped over verse fifteen thirty five forty two. Sorry, verse twenty five to verse thirty four. You remember that story, I won't read it. You remember there was a woman came and touched him in the press. Can I just say to you from that text he even had compassion on his way to having compassion? oh hallelujah he had compassion on his way to have compassion but they forgot don't we all wonder sometimes where all these people are all these blind people that got healed lame people that got healed Demon-possessed people that got delivered and dead that got raised. Where were they when they hung him up? They forgot. And they treated him with so much unkindness with regards to his family that they would not even give him the civility of a quiet farewell. To his own precious earthly mother. Do you realize that Jesus said his goodbyes from the cross? Said his goodbyes to his mother. From the cross. They didn't even give him a moment. To be with his mother. Those on whom he had had such great compassion. They showed him no kindness. Oh. But number six, I ask you, how could they forget? How could they dishonor? How could they respect? Disrespect? That his touch was always and ever gentle and always restorative. Everything he touched. Luke said something in his prayer this morning. Oh, the gentleness of his hands. So gentle and always restorative. Mark chapter 5 verse 39 through 42. Chapter 9, verse 17 through 27. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. Look at those texts sometime when you have time. You'll find in every one of those, there's the touch of his hand touch of his hand oh isn't it a blessing even on an earthly plane even as Christians among one another isn't it sometimes isn't it sometimes encouraging when you're struggling and someone comes along and just takes your hand gives it a good squeeze gentle Oh, his touch was always gentle and always restorative. But oh, those hands, those hands, John 20 and verse 27, they pierced them with great nails. They showed no kindness to his hands that had been so kind. So gentle. So restorative. Oh, those hands. Those hands. Our first trip to Ireland, my wife and I heard Ted Kelly down in court preach a message. I'll never forget it. He preached a message on hands. First Chronicles 29 and verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all, both riches and honor came of thee, and thou reignest over all. And listen, in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Oh, those hands, those hands. How could they forget? How could they have such appalling amnesia as to allow those hands to be pierced? But they showed him no kindness. Number seven. This one, this blessed Gideon, was ever and always busy relieving the stabbing pain of embarrassment and humiliation. You hear me? Oh yes, he was always relieving the stabbing pain of embarrassment and humiliation. You remember the text, John chapter 8? found the woman in the very scene, in the very act of adultery, dragged her out in front of everybody and threw her down. Oh, the humiliation, the embarrassment. But what does our Lord, what does our Lord What bring comfort consolation and relief drives back the crowd by his words and actions what am I saying I'm saying he spent his life relieving embarrassment surely they'll remember that surely they'll remember that and be kind but no 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 He could not be spared them embarrassing, burning fires of public humiliation which would have been felt by any man, but more felt by this man because he was a sinless man. What did they do? Oh Matthew twenty seven verse thirty, they spit on him and smote him in public. What did they do? Matthew 27, verse 31, they mocked him. What did they do? Mark 15 and 17, they crowned him with a crown of thorns to make jest and mock him and embarrass him. What did they do? Oh, Matthew 27, 28. And then also verse 31 and 35. Oh, the ultimate embarrassment. They stripped Him naked, not once, but twice. They stripped him naked. Oh, this one that had spent his life relieving embarrassment. They stripped him naked in the public place. He bore this most intense humiliation of nakedness. Oh Hallelujah, So that we might be clothed hallelujah, Second Corinthians chapter five. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens and for for in this. We groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so that be, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Oh, listen. He bore this so that I could be clothed and that for eternity in the eyes of a thrice holy God, I shall not have to be embarrassed. Revelation chapter seven and verse nine in that beautific vision of John, he says they're clothed with white robes. <laughs> oh, how could they forget? How he relieved embarrassment. I showed him no kindness. Number eight. And that's the last. His was the work of giving life. Giving life. (laughs) In fact, he had no reservation in Luke 7 and verse 11 through 16. and John 11, verse 38 through 45, he had no reservation in interrupting funerals. (laughs) Oh, isn't that a beautiful scene? Oh, here they come. Mourners. Dead body. And the Lord Jesus intercepts them. And just breaks up the funeral. (laughs) What am I saying? Oh, I'm saying he, he was a giver of life. He was a giver of life. Surely they hadn't forgotten that have they oh yes oh yes we get over to Matthew chapter 27 and there's only one cry on their lips kill him kill him Matthew 27 verse 22 Mark 15 verse 13 and again verse 14 Luke chapter 23 verse 20 and again verse 23 John 19 verse 6, John 14 verse 15, all along the way, over and over and over again, these words ring out from the lips of unregenerate men like some haunting echo bouncing off the walls of every fallen heart, age after age after age, calling out, these words, kill him! Kill him. The giver of life. They showed no kindness. Oh, the wretched dishonor. The wretched unkindness. All the fruit of our blemishes. Our blemishes. The Spirit of God tells us neither showed they kindness to the house of Gideon for all the goodness he'd showed to them. So now the record of our beloved hero ends. And a new chapter Old in its images, only new in its chronology. (sniffs) A new chapter opens to us in chapter 9. And now as the story ends in chapter 8, black, black indeed are the skies over Israel. Lessons will yet be there to await us in chapter 9. In the sacred unfolding of these judges in Israel. What an epitaph Is written on the stone of Israel's national life. In the words of these last two verses. Brother John got me that book on epithets. And I'm so enjoying it. As I came to the close of this chapter. I thought. Here's the death of Israel again. I wonder what epitaph would you put over there. On the stone over Israel. Well the Holy Spirit has furnished us the words. Forgot God. And showed no kindness. Can you imagine a stone. Over your head. That just had these words. Forgot God. Showed no kindness. That's where they are at the close. Of chapter 8. Alas. Blemished. Was Gideon. But polluted. Is the epitaph. Over Israel. Because. Of his blemishes. Stand with me please again. Sing the words of 468. A broken heart, my God, my King, is all the sacrifice I bring. The God of grace will ne'er despise a broken heart for sacrifice. My soul is humble in the dust And knows thy dreadful sentence just Look down, O Lord, with pitying eye And save the soul condemned to die Then will I reach the world thy ways Sinners shall learn thy sovereign grace I'll lead them to my Savior's blood And they shall praise us Morning God. Oh, may thy love inspire my tongue. Salvation be my, my, my song. And all my parts shall join to bless. The Lord my strength and righteousness